Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons, and welcome to the Innovation and Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're going to be talking with Reza Ruholamini. Reza is the Vice President of Architecture, R&D, Data Science, AI Product Development, and DevOps at CCC. That's quite a list of accountabilities, Reza. Before he joined CCC, Reza was with Dell during some amazing times and had witnessed firsthand the entire arc of cloud computing. So welcome to the podcast, Reza. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. My pleasure. So, Reza, if you don't mind, could you share with our listeners a little bit of background about you, CCC, your role, and the environment you're creating there? Actually, I started my career uh, as a university professor. I taught for several years. And it was the curiosity of how the industry operates and what happens in industry that basically made me join the industry. Mm. I had uh, these companies that were in the computing or the networking, data data communication, come and hire some of my students, and they managed to hire me as well. Mm. So it was strictly the curiosity, not the additional salary, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that was just added bonus. So I joined the industry, and for a period of time, I... Also kept a foot in academia, did some adjunct work, teaching a course early in the morning, during the lunch hour or late in the afternoon. One thing, though, that uh, either I was lucky or coincidental, that every one of these industries that I had pleasure to be part of a company, they had a set of things in, in common. They were parallel between them. First thing was that these were all uh, successful companies uh, on a growth path, they were generating the revenue, increasing the revenue size, as well as uh, there was almost every time I made a transition, there was a technology inflection point in the horizon in the computer communication industry. And the third commonality was they all were very focused on delivering services that the customer needed naturally. Mm. They would go to customer on a regular basis. What is it that you need? what you want, and I would go and make it. So that transition and that basically travel through this industry and having the same common sort of parallel framework or, or environment as I joined from one company to the other gave me the great amount of uh, experience and how to sort of uh, deal with these technology inflection points Every one of them wanted to endorse or leverage that technology. But there are basically a set of tactics and things that you need to put in place in order to make sure that that influence happens. So uh, currently I'm with CCC, uh, which is a software as a service provider. Actually, the technology jewel of the Chicago no argument there. It's been uh, in place for uh, quite a few years. It's about 40 years. It was incubated in Chicago. Very quiet company, heads down. What attracted me to this company was the fact that uh, this was like 2013, that time frame, where uh, software as a service, cloud computing, 
placing the horizon as one of the technology inflection points. People uh, no longer felt like they want to own the software and they want to own the hardware. Just like electricity, the way you use electricity, if your device needs some amount of power, you just plug it in and you use as much as you need and you get a bill at the end of it. You don't deal with the you know, power company's infrastructure. You don't have to have one of those generators in your home or your operation. So the same sort of concept. Why should I own the software that I have to pay licenses and this mm -hmm. and that? And maintain it. Why should I own the hardware that every three years I have to rev it and operate it and so forth? So I felt that this company was really a jewel in the software as a service industry. They had done that for the quite a few years on a, on a private cloud sort of operation. And that was one of the things that attracted me to the company. Because I thought that's in the horizon, that is the thing of one of the technology inflection pointing of the future. Today we have uh, the company has a very large and very successful network. It's about 300 plus insurance companies that are on that network uh, utilizing the software as a service capability of CCC. About 25,000 repair facilities, quite few OEMs, so car manufacturers, parts suppliers. So the network has grown over the past 40 years from the, the, the number of the same kind of entities as well as different kind of entities. So as we indicated, my role uh, at CCC is more of the architecture, basically innovation. What we have done, Patrick, is actually dealing with the, this greatest technology inflection point that we are facing. I tend to believe we have the largest inflection point in the past 30 years or so that I've been in the industry. We see it today. That includes cloud computing, AI, machine learning, deep learning, IoT, natural language processing. So the question is, how do we basically leverage these technologies to provide better services, more effective services for our customers, such that in turn they can provide their customers. Our customers are mainly insurance in companies. Mm -hmm. So in order to achieve that, you know, over the years I learned there are basically few tactics that you need to talk. And if you do that, you will successfully basically bring these technologies in and leverage them properly. One is that first, every time you enjoy a company as a, you know, as, with a charter, as a leader, you always need to pay attention, learn what is in place and how does that engine that runs the company, that produces the product, the services, how does it work? Make sure you understand it. Second thing, you provide the credit to the people that actually running this environment, running this engine, and making sure the engine uh, continues operations, so the revenue comes in, the customers are serviced, and so that's important. And third thing is, I use this uh, metaphor, chisel and the hammer. Just like an artist, if you're creating a piece of art uh, from a piece of wood or a piece of stone, you need a basically a shop to test drive different pieces of wood, different material, and you very carefully take the chisel and with the hammer, uh, banging the chisel to do the carving. So the same sort of uh, metaphor when you're trying to basically bring new technology into an organization, trying to influence the engine. Often these companies, because they're all successful and they're in operation and growing, uh, yet there is usually a need for 
turning the engine a little bit, maybe injecting a bit of technology into the engine. So the same concept. You take the chisel and the areas that on the engine that you could potentially benefit from a new technology, you inject it. Now that is either into the product line or into the internal operation of the organization. So that's one thing. The other aspect is you have to have a place for you establishing and actually exercising technical relation with your company, with your customer. At the same time, you have market relation, you have uh, uh, sales relation. You, I fundamentally believe you have to have technical architectural relation as well. So in order to accommodate that, as well as making sure your team or your people, uh, engineers and technical people, have an opportunity to test drive new things and actually become familiar with the new technologies, you need an environment, the laboratory. So that's one of the things that we have done. Therefore, every one of these companies I have been, that's one of the things I do. We'll first of all give the team at least an hour or so free time to kind of uh, invest in themselves by learning and picking things up, new things. And actually, I ask them to come and actually share that finding with the rest of the organization. That way, they start having a feeling of ownership mm -hmm. of that view. Similarly, we have an environment for them that they can test drive, not only do it internally, also do it with our customers. So our customers also are facing this technology inflection point and they are wondering, you know, how can I use AI? How can I use machine learning? So at the same time, we are wondering what, where is the place for these things in our portfolio and so forth? How can I leverage them to provide better service, faster, more effective? They're also thinking along the same line. So what better than joining the forces and actually do it together? Now that way you could uh, also benefit from having an idea, a product concept that you know that it is a customer that actually has ownership in some of that, developing some of that. So you can get it in the hand of the customer much faster and quicker. So uh, in summary, to deal with this technology inflection points, we have created within CCC basically an incubation facility, uh, an innovation facility, small startup within the company. But with the difference that this innovation facility, this startup has great ties to the core business. In other words, people that drive the requirement for the core business and so forth, they also drive requirement on what technologies and so forth we should be looking at, what would the embodiment of this technology and the product should look like and so forth. There is checks and bounds, there is, mm -hmm. there is budget, there is man months, there is man hours, right? So all of the uh, attributes or all of the metrics and all of the knobs that you need to run a successful business is kind of uh, influencing the innovation incubation as well. So that's a little bit about CCC and that's, that's a little bit about how uh, I have, we have managed to bring these new technologies in. And today, uh, CCC is in a position that truly has revolutionized how the claim processing happens. And our focus has been what we call autophysical damage. So when you're caught in an accident and you call your, call your insurance company, they basically use our facilities and our tool set, our know-how to basically process the claim. At the same time, we have connection with the repair facilities. We provide them shop management software, the estimation software, 
notification to their customers, all of that basically is part of our network, those capabilities. So now with the advent of AI, which we have injected into our process, the accuracy of the claim, the speed from the, uh, of the onset of the claim to the closure of the claim is much faster, much quicker. There's more automation, there's more accuracy. With our telematics sort of uh, business or, or leveraging the telematics, we can actually proactively uh, decide whether something has happened to the car. So we can make very proactive, take proactive actions uh, by notifying the insurance company or notifying basically the services that are needed to provide the help. So you see, this is how we have leveraged this technology inflection points to really, truly change, re, reinvent, re-renovate change the way the whole claim processing uh, happens today. And that has resulted much better service, faster service, quicker, more proactive. So that's a little bit of summary of what we have done at CCC and a little bit about what it takes to do this kind of stuff. When you're facing a technology inflection point, these are some of the elements that you need to put in place in order to make sure you do leverage the inflection points and you don't, um, you are not left behind. Because in the absence of not endorsing and doing these things, it could potentially, uh, as you can imagine, could cause some bad things to happen to you. Right. So, you get <clears throat> left behind. Behind, right. Right. Left behind. It's uh, interesting. Uh, many times when I speak with clients, they're like, well, I'm not a software company. Uh, not really my clients, but uh, other people in the industry when they say, oh, we're not a software company. And my thought is always, well, then you're not going to be a company, company right? right? <laughs> Given the horizon of events. Exactly. And they think, oh, you know, my industry is different. And I said, you know, the, you know, cabs felt pretty comfortable about right. a decade ago. And if somebody wants to take over that really sexy industry, trust me, everybody's right. <laughs> Got a bullseye on their back right. somewhere. I uh, said so it's interesting with the innovation lab that you put together, right? And that, that, that environment. Um, some of the things that I've heard people in the round table that, and other people in the industry starting, you know, as they're starting to create those types of environments, you know, some of the challenges are you want that to operate like a startup, but it still has all of the controls and governance that goes along with a large organization, which kind of squelches the whole purpose. Is that something that you saw? Is that something you had to overcome or is it just something, how do you handle with those challenges of like, clearly you want the business that makes money to be safe, right? And then the part where you're going to make money tomorrow, right? No, absolutely. That's a great question. I think we struck a balance. All of the people that are part of the foundry, they're actually working on new stuff. But this new stuff also has a better roadmap. It's tied every new project, every new a prototype or a new assessment of a new technology has a tie to one of our core businesses. The requirement for if this thing is going to be turned into a product, what should that be? What line of business is going to use it? What potentially customer would be interested to actually take it right off the bat and do a pilot with it? See, so these are examples of how we try to strike the balance between the two, the world of you know, incubation, uh, not much of the processes and sort of control and let's just go make it happen versus making sure this stuff actually 
generates the result that we all drive towards, which is in the hands of the customer, useful as well as contributing the renovation to the revenue and the growth. So you got to strike a balance. Definitely, if you don't pay attention to one and ignore it, yeah, that's not going to be, you know, if too much processes and so forth, just going to backfire, kills the innovation. Too much of a, you know, free for all, just do whatever you feel like doing. Right. You know, because the technology, honestly, is, a, is the easiest part of the equation. You know, making it uh, uh, have an influence, make an impact, make the customers, make the organization buy into it, endorse it, and nurture it. That is uh, the more difficult part, as you can imagine. I can. I think so, those of us who survived the dot-com bust, where right. it was like, well, what value are you really providing the customer, right? Exactly. Build it, and they will come as... Yeah, well, that's no, just, right? That's right. The amount of times in 2000, we, I had people telling me, if we build this, you know, we're going right. to have to like have this big infrastructure right. to carry all the money we're going to get. And like, that's right. none of those right. spigots ever worked. That's right. Right. The big cash spigot that's never, true. never showed up. True. You know, that's true. So you really have to, again, the chisel and the hammer, right? You got to do better each very carefully. And it is very feasible. Again, there's some fundamental things that you need to pay attention to. You know, influencing, making sure uh, people see the benefit of the new technology or the new way of operation. You need to make sure people feel it. So that's why I'm so keen on. If you have an architecture role or R&D role, you need to be hands-on. I mean, PowerPoint is not going to do it. That's why all of my architecture people or team that I have always have had they came through the develop, development rank and they are very much hands-on. So if you ask me, Reza, what's your architecture for this thing that you want to build and so forth? Yeah, we will do the all-day investigation, the theoretical uh, you know, investigation and this and that. But uh, more importantly, we're actually going to bring some of those technologies in, take it to the lab and actually build an instance of a product that this architecture, this technology is going to be part of. And then when people start feeling and seeing and touching and actually see the, you know, what the technology can do or what the architecture is it that will deliver, then it becomes much easier to basically adopt and adapt it. So adapt to it. So the hands-on thing is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another element of making sure that these, uh, this, uh, technology inflection points or the architectural changes and so forth that need to happen is more effective, hands-on, hands-on, show and tell. So it's a great question. Like there's a, I guess one of the questions I have around getting in front of the customers, right? Making sure it's something that they will give you dollar one for, right? Where that's kind of the big challenge for a lot of established organizations that are now trying to go into new markets. Right. Or ex- mm-hmm. expanding for, you know, getting more of the wallet. Uh, but is there something that you do to qualify these types of opportunities before you start putting serious dollars behind it? Yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to my fundamental belief that you have to have technical relation with your customers. Mm-hmm. Because if the customer is part of, again, this 
technology changes, this new way of running a business, in you know, leveraging technology. Everybody's whether it's your customer or the provider of the product, we all be thinking along the same line. How can I leverage that, right? So the world is, um, you know, if you go back like 30, 40 years ago, when you had uh, these big old computer organizations that they had the research arm, that they would put 50, 60 people, researchers in the same building and give them $50 million and say, you have five years go develop the latest, greatest right. land technology, right? Or, you know, operating system. That is the way of past. With the open source, with the cloud computing, availability of computing resources, what we have, which I like to call open R&D, is the way to go. Because any innovation, anything that it is sort of proprietary or it is your creation to you, probably would not last more than 18 months. <laughs> Somebody else would figure it out because of all this availability of all these resources and research findings and open source and so forth. So therefore the success, the key to the success is joint open R&D and who better be part of this network of the partners than your customers. So if I have an idea, you know, that, that idea requires, let's say, and networking gear, and I'm not in the business of building networking pieces, right? I will go and find the best in the industry that provides networking solutions, right? And I will put the idea on the table, so let's work together and build mm. a similar concept with your customers, right? So if you're thinking of a, of a product or a concept, you want to put a patent on it, that's fine, do it. But once you do it, then open it up to your customer base, open it up to your partners. Invite them to show them that potentially the, the benefit that we get from it. Once you get your customer to be part of the team, the technical team, be part of that open R&D team, then I think it's much faster, easier, quicker to get revenue from that product. That's something that I fundamentally believe that, you know, the, the, these days, collaboration and joint development is the way to go, especially with your customers. Now, in, in the product that you guys provide, it's it's a solution within their solutions. That's right. Right? So that kind of partnering is critical for you to be able to stay, I don't want to say relevant because that, that doesn't really touch on it. But like, how do you, the partnering is just something that's critical for your success. Right? right. If you're not giving them what they need so that they can go and sell their products, which is, you know, and many times insurance. That's right. right. And so... Uh, it's an interesting concept, the open source concept and the idea that if you're, if you think you're going to own something, right, somebody needs to, you know, let Apple know about that sometime soon. Uh, I (laughs) mean, Microsoft's even got it. So if Microsoft's gotten the message, it's, it's time for everybody to kind of understand it. The the lifespan of a, you know, innovation is about 18 months at most. Somebody else will figure that I actually do it better than you do so. Might as well put it in motion, uh, spread the knowledge, work with the customer, and get in their hand their hands as fast as possible. So, but you're right. I mean, what we do basically providing the mechanism, the tools, the products, the technologies that our customers can basically use, leverage to serve their customers. So. 
for example, uh, from the telematics, I mean, we have a very high-speed platform that we built that can consume data coming from the cars. These cars can generate 25 gigabytes of data per hour. That's not always mechanical related, some is driver, driving behavior related. Um, we have the ability to actually consume that data from millions and millions of the car and uh, basically detect events out of these bets that come in. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we detect an accident that has happened. Now, once we have that ability, we can think. We can provide a much, we provide that information to the insurance company, that the insurance company can use that to more proactively service their client. Yes, Patrick, unfortunately, you've been in the accident. There's all kinds of stuff that, you know, what do you need? How can I help? So, you know, versus you calling the insurance company, they can call you, for example. Right. So that's, this is an example of how the capability that we provide will aid our customers to service their customers better. Or, for example, this data can help the underwriting sections segment of the insurance industry to, pro to provide a more optimal policy, for example, by knowing the behavior of the driver and how often they drive and so forth. So, And there's numerous examples of that nature. That's, and that's the business we are in, to provide the technology and solutions that will aid our customers to do better service, provide better service to their, to their customers. Mm -hmm. So, I'm very interested in the... Uh that startup inside a big, a big business. What are some of the unexpected things? What are, what are some of those? Uh, I mean, you go into things sure. with like, I think this is going to happen. Yeah. And then there's always those ancillary learnings. Is there yeah. something that happened that about the culture, or like how that group operated or anything right. like that? Well, the big, biggest problem we have today is the amount of innovation that our team does is much more than our ability to take the market. Mm. We have so much innovation that, but ability, I mean, you can't just throw innovation on the market. They got to be, you know, customers got to be receptive. They got to feel comfortable. Most of the stuff that the, our approach is to do, put it out as a uh, assistant to what our customers do today and the way they do it. So incrementally, they feel more comfortable and so forth. So that's one of the issues. I mean, we, from a technical perspective, the engineers, well, I have this great thing produced and I can demonstrate that it works and so forth. So why isn't it in the product yet? Right. So there's that, that balance between, you know, creating the, the speed by which you create um, intellectual you know, innovations and the speed by which you can take the product. In. So that's one of the challenges we have. But uh, in general, as I said, if you establish a culture that in the, within the innovation or the incubator, such that there is a dollar and cents, there is customers involved, there is uh, checks and bounds, and there is technology, and there is innovation, right? There is a, a prototyping, a playing with the technology, tinkering with the technology. Playing. You have to have all of that combined. Once you do, then these kind of, uh, the operation becomes more effective, more fruitful, and some of the issues that you see, um, companies, almost everybody has an innovation sort of organization, innovation lab, but mm -hmm. often they do not produce the result that they should because some of these metrics, some of these checks and bounds are not there. So 
I think there is a balance that we can establish. Well, I think you touch on a, a, if you're getting the results where you have too many, because there's an article and I think it was Fortune magazine just a week or two ago that you're right. There's many organizations that have what they're labeling innovation yeah. theater, right? Exactly. Not actually producing things, That's but right. there's a group of people who get to act like Steve Jobs for a couple hours every week and, you know, have some crazy ideas. And that's two rips on Apple in one podcast. So I'm done with that. So I'm going to rip into somebody else next. But so I guess that's a great question is that, you know, having so many options, so many things there. And then trying to communicate back to the, to the people who, who created these ideas that it isn't in the product. Is there something where you're, you're measuring like the impact, right? So when, when you start prioritizing how to, how to take those, is there, is there a process for that? Exactly. I think because uh, every project that happens in the innovation center, in the, what we call this, by the way, innovation foundry. Foundry. Instead, okay. It's really incubator within our, um, it's tied to a line of business. The people that serve that line of business on the sales side, the marketing side, they are engaged, mm. they are aware, uh, they communicate with their customers on a proactive basis. Mm. The customers come to our innovation lab and actually continuously there's inflow of customers to see the innovation, to provide feedback, to touch and feel. That has greatly helped making sure everything that happens in the innovation foundry, there is a destination for it. We just don't do innovation for the sake of innovation. Every new idea and so forth that has been incubated and actually worked on improved uh, has market receptivity, has a customer base that is waiting for it. Interesting. And it's because of this, you know, two-way communication with the customers, with the account teams, with the salespeople, and their visit of their customers with their lab and so forth. So that's very important. And once the stuff is to some level of maturity out of the family, it is actually in the hand of at least two or three customers. That's great. And you can imagine, you know, if one customer says, yeah, I like it, I'm using it, right, the other ones will follow. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing more important than somebody that is in the same line of business actually endorses or actually benefits from something everybody else wants it as well. So, so it does make me wonder about, you know, you, you touch on like that locality of like you're, these people are responsive to a business line, right? So they understand the customer, they understand the product, they understand that, that whole, you know, value stream. When you're looking at people to put into the foundry, because I could imagine there's a lot of people who are, who would like to participate in that? That that is kind of a, a something they've been looking for for their in their careers. You mean internally? Yeah, internally. Yeah, so right. resources yeah, yeah, who yeah. want to like yeah. join. Exactly. Are you like when you're looking at who to to bring onto that team? Are there that's different a, characteristics? That's a great question, Patrick. The no, we also have this notion of center of excellence. I mean, let, let's say I bring in the AI technology and into the foundry and we produce series of products based on AI and so forth, right? Definitely, we have uh, the vision that we want to make sure AI everywhere, not only in this product or this you know, product line or that product, but all of the product lines, mm. even to be used internally to run our operation. I mean, they are AI. That's our, our actual vision, AI everywhere. Mm. 
So the idea is once you bring your technology into the foundry, uh, after a while, once you have incubated it, you have embodied it into the embedded into a product or sales of product, and it is successful, then you basically have created what I call central excellence. And then the time becomes to have other functions within the company or other segment them to benefit from that central excellence. And that is where you could do swapping in and out of the basically experts, like from the foundry into the line of business or from the line of business into the foundry, the center of excellence. That's how you sort of propagate, you expand the knowledge and the know-how into the rest of the organization. That's one of the attributes or one of the elements of our foundry hmm. by rotating people in and out. Once there is that center of excellence thing created, right. you put it with me because all these, uh, as these companies grow and technology, especially some of the technology like AI, is pretty complex because mm-hmm. it requires framework selection, it requires tools. You know, to do it right, you have to have automation, this and that. There got to be a, a level of central operation. You cannot empower everyone in the organization to go do AI. Because right. Then you have a massive number of frameworks, a massive number right. of tools, and then things don't operate well together. Right? So you need to maintain that central of excellence, information clearance house, and ability or the way to basically inject that knowledge, that know-how to the rest of the organization. And one way to do that is rotating people in and out of the foundry. Yeah, the other challenge when you you go the free-for-all besides the Tower of Babel situation of everybody's doing different things, there's so much relearning, right? That's right. You're painting the same wall hundreds, if not thousands of times where it's like this is not meaningful behaviors, right? That's right. It's just a lot of wasted time and effort. Exactly. So you have to really be be careful because in general, you know, when you are smart, uh, small and very, you know, startup-ish. You do anything. You, know, you empower everyone to go make revenue, right? Do whatever it takes, right? Things right. Like, but when you are a successful company and you are growing, you need to have some level of centralization. That's great. Otherwise, uh, it's just not going to be as effective. <laughs> Cost-wise and performance-wise and interoperability-wise, right? And it's one of the things I've always wondered because... Uh... One of my first companies, I tried to do a little bit of uh, Kaizen where I said, hey, you know, we had the, the box, right, where people could buy ideas in. Um, I didn't get a lot. And then one of the ideas I got involved, a waffle maker. And I'm like, I think I might be missing the mark with this effort, right? So, and I, I think that, you know, focusing on customer value, right? So how are we going to increase value to our customers, right? Not just create more exactly internal things. The, the, my theme is that we don't do technology for the sake of technology. We do it for the sake of delivering better service to our customers. So that that is every one of engineer our engineer has that in mind. Yeah, it's just you know, yeah, it's the coolest thing, but that doesn't mean that you know te- technically it's the coolest thing, but that doesn't mean it's useful. So yeah, it's only useful if it's going to bring some benefit to the customers. That's right, and, and it's so interesting. So much of that value stream, lean manufacturing, still comes back to right. What did the customer request to? Exactly. How did right. we get the? They were able to pull value from exactly. this effort. But I also believe, Patrick, that you, we have to be pushing more versus pulling 
to our customer base. Like they, they do welcome that. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, companies have done the right thing, going to their customer on a monthly basis, quarterly basis. What do you need, Mr. Customer? What can I do for you? Right. right. That's, that's okay. But I think more important when you are, you have, you're facing this technology inflection point, you need to push a little bit more. You need to go to a customer on a regular basis. Say here, Mr. Customer, this technology, see what I can do for you. I, mean, I have done a little bit of prototyping implementation. This product, you know, or injecting this technology into this service or this product, it does have this benefit for you. So a little bit of pushing is also required. That's great. The uh, famous Henry Ford quote, if I gave the customer what they want, the one, I would right. have built a faster horse. Faster horse. Right? So, exactly. But that's, that's at that highest level of innovation of not just giving them what they asked for, but things that they didn't know they didn't could know. even be true. Exactly. And I think to your point is like with the technology that exists today, I mean, you just think about a decade ago where large companies had so much dominance because they had access to software that other people just couldn't afford when uh, enterprise level database was a hundred thousand dollars and now you can rent it by the second exactly. right and not have to pay for somebody to manage maintain exactly. right all that stuff is just it's so empowering exactly so it, it does create a lot of opportunities yep. for everybody but only I think I think you're absolutely right we're at, we're at a very big point where you look at you know the fangs of the world right Facebook Amazon you know where they're taking dominance over right. everyone else. And if, if people aren't going to make that transition to a very software-centric life, that's right. You know, it, yeah. it's going to be a short story at some point. Exactly. That's uh, that, that's one of the reasons that I basically joined the CCC from my prior work at uh, Dell uh, because of the software as a service. And I felt that software is, software services is going to make up that big technology inflection point. Yeah, definitely. Certainly, that's the case. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. A pleasure. No, yeah, I love your your perspective and uh, your experiences. Uh, aside from like obviously traveling the Midwest for an education through U of I, then Wisconsin, then Minnesota. I don't know if you were just trying to get to North Dakota or not, <laughs> but uh, I'm really too tired. <laughs> <laughs> got too cold. It's right? like all right, this is it. Minnesota's my last stop. But uh, I, again, I just want to say thank you for, uh, for you know, talking with us, taking the time. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Patty. Thank you for having me. And uh, I also wanted to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to, to join us and listen. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or uh, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.